0: visit AscentEquityGroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T EquityGroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only.
1: Honestly, like in any other partnership, comes down to some level of trust. That has to be there first. And I actually think that your choice of partner is actually more important in the market or the asset
2: itself. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% For every ticket that you're responsible for selling, should you join as an affiliate for the conference? Great way to earn money, and also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest-running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into... Any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Matt Shamus. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing
1: great. Thank you so much for having me, Joe.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear that, and it's my pleasure. A little bit about Matt. He's the founder of Driven Capital Partners. They are a private equity group with a diversified portfolio, including nearly 700 units of multifamily, 105,000 square feet of office and industrial space, and mixed-use opportunity zone development project based in San Francisco, California. With that being said, Matt, you want to give the best several listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
1: Absolutely. So I am in the Bay Area in California. I have a background in the technology space, as a lot of people do, based here in the Bay Area. I was most recently at Facebook, where I worked for six years. And I kind of, throughout my time there, and even before working there, I was investing in real estate on the side. And I'm pretty entrepreneurial. Facebook was really only my second ever real job. Everything else that I've done has been kind of self-directed entrepreneurial. And I've always been interested in real estate, or I always was, even from a young age. I got my real estate license when I was, I think, 19 or 20 and ended up selling my mom's home, the house that I grew up in. And she made a really good profit. I just kind of had this light bulb moment where I realized, wait a minute, there's something here. And I went off to college, I studied economics and took whatever real estate courses I could. That was when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which kind of just set the foundation for, I think, the right mindset. And once I started making a little money in my career, I started investing in single family homes. And I was basically doing the Burr strategy before the term was coined, or at least before I knew about it. And I had a chance to do several projects where we were buying the kind of the the worst house or the worst duplex in a decent neighborhood and significantly renovating it and then holding it as a long-term rental. And I started taking money from other friends and coworkers and people that knew that I was doing that wanted to be involved in real estate, but they just didn't really have any means to get started on their own with their own two hands. So did that several times over and I just realized, you know what? I'm doing everything right, but I need to add a zero or two to everything that I'm doing in order to achieve the scale that I want to. So that's when I started looking into apartments as an investment option. And then from there, I started looking into other commercial real estate. So now what we do is we pool money from individual investors and we sponsor real estate deals where in our kind of driven capital partners are theme is we want to create a diversified portfolio across asset classes and across markets. So that's what we do today.
2: Let's talk about the approach of a diversified portfolio across asset classes and markets. First, are you doing this full-time driven capital partners? Yes. Okay. So when you were at Facebook, what was your role?
1: As an employee at Facebook? Yes. Well, I did a bunch of different things. As you do at a company like that, I, I moved around a bit I went originally to work in 2012 to work on Facebook's very first iPhone app. And then I moved most of my time there was in business development, working on an initiative called internet.org, which is basically Facebook's initiative to bring free internet and introduce the internet to the poorest countries in the world.
2: Okay. Your skill set that they hired for was, what was your primary thing that you're really good at? (sighs) (laughs)
1: That's a good question. I guess I'm not sure what they hired me for in particular, but I think general kind of adaptability, strategic thinking and planning, definitely a marketing emphasis. Those are some of the things that I focused on at Facebook.
2: Okay, cool. I just wanted to kind of put you in a category in my mind, software developer or...
1: No, you know, the the team's... Yeah, the teams that I worked on at Facebook were generally made up of management consultants. I didn't have that background, but that's the kind of work that we were doing.
2: Okay, cool. All right, so that helps give some context for what you're doing now, because now that you're a private equity group, you're pulling capital, what aspects of your previous career are you applying now towards what you're doing?
1: Well, it's an interesting question. I haven't particularly put those two dots together. I think taking a strategic and analytical approach to investing, definitely, and having a long-term mindset, I think, as opposed to having a quick, short-term, I need to accomplish something in in a short period of time mindset. I think those are two things, definitely, that have translated from my former work to what we're doing at Driven Capital Partners.
2: Okay. And how are you defining long-term when you talk about that mindset?
1: Well, I'm going to turn 35 this year. So I am planning on being here for quite a long time. What I mean is just that I want to build a portfolio for myself that's going to withstand the test of time and get me into and through my retirement years. So I'm always going to make the decision that I think is the better decision long-term, even if it's a little bit more painful in the next few months or even a year. So that's all I mean. I think it's more of a mindset. I'm not looking to make a quick buck on a deal. I'm looking to make sure that I I feel like we have a good approach in place and that even if there are some external factors that give us some bumps in the road in the near term, we still feel really good about what we're doing long term.
2: Your focus is having a diversified portfolio across markets and asset classes. How do you mitigate risk when you're looking at multiple markets and multiple asset classes?
1: Mm, This is a good question. The more common model I think is to find a niche and exploit it and kind of rinse and repeat, which I think is tremendously valuable. What we've decided to do is since Dan, my partner, who's based in LA, Dan and I are first investors for our own account. So what we are doing is finding investments that we want to put our own money into. And then we are letting our passive investors ride along and benefit from the research and due diligence and the operational expertise that we bring to to any deal. But first and foremost, we're investing our money. So we are very conservative in what we do. And what it translates to is we tend to say no to almost every deal. And when we find a deal that we're excited about, we're really excited about it. So in terms of mitigating risk, what we want to do is, If we are investing as kind of the lead sponsor, and we don't have anyone else on the team in a new market, we want to make sure that we have a very strong team in place in terms of property management, in terms of any consultants that are required, and all the professional services that you would want in a market so that you can lean on their expertise. If we are partnering with another operator, which we do, then we lean on their track record And their expertise. So, we may, for instance, partner with an operator in North Carolina. And although North Carolina is not our market of expertise, it is this particular operator's market of expertise. So, we're going to use their knowledge and background and kind of track record to accelerate our opportunity in that market. So, that's what we lean on, and that's where we see the value and actually not exploiting a particular niche on our own, but finding really good investment opportunities and being open to the fact that I myself am not going to find all the best opportunities. There's a good chance that there's someone else in a different market that may have an opportunity that I may never see otherwise, and I still want the chance to
2: invest in it. Would love to talk more about that and risk mitigation, and we will, but just a quick clarifying question. So you're the lead general partner on some deals, and then other deals, you find a deal you want to passively invest in, and then you bring in your investors after you have qualified the deal. Is that correct? Generally,
1: yes. Uh, there's a little bit more nuance to it, but yeah, generally, that's right. Okay.
2: So you got 700 units of multifamily and 105,000 square feet of office and industrial and mixed use. How much of that is you being the lead general partner?
1: It's about 50 50 to date. And I think that's probably the mix that we'll look to continue to do, keep it kind of 50-50. What we like to do is Dan and I are out looking for opportunities, but we want to be able to weigh and compare them against opportunities from partners. Mm -hmm. And if our deal wins, we want to invest in our deal. But if our deal doesn't win, then we don't want to be putting our money into a deal of ours just because it's ours. So this kind of method or this strategy gives us a lot more deal flow and gives us, I think, a chance to have just better returns over the long term.
2: What's the largest deal that you're a lead general partner on?
1: Well, we have probably our $4 million project. Our markets of emphasis are the places that we like the most are generally in the Southeast. Uh-huh. We happen to have one deal in Santa Barbara, California. And that's the deal that I'm referring to here. It just happened to be an opportunity that kind of fell in our lap. So we we had to take advantage of it. But it's about a $4 million deal that is an office to multifamily conversion project in a really great location.
2: Office to multifamily. And of the 105,000 square feet, approximately how much of this project is that 105,000?
1: I don't know the square footage. It's under 20,000 feet.
2: That's quite the undertaking, office to multifamily conversion. How have you taught yourself how to do that?
1: <laughs> well, okay, so we just got off an hour-long phone call this morning, which we do weekly on this particular project. Who's and, on the call, um,
2: what team members are on the call?
1: Just me and Dan, and any other potential partners that are relevant for the week. Team member, we have permitting consultant, architect that are all working on the project. So. This property was actually built in the 60s and it was originally built as multifamily. So the footprint is kind of there. It was converted to office space in the 80s. If you're familiar with Santa Barbara, this is right off of State Street, which is the main drag downtown. So in the 80s, apparently, office space was more desirable for this location. And the property was held in trust and it was recently inherited and and it was poorly managed. Santa Barbara has about a 2%. Multifamily vacancy rate. Now uh, there's a pretty big housing crisis. So the city really wants to see more relatively affordable housing options, especially in a downtown location like this. So if all those characteristics or components kind of aligned here. If it was strictly, truly an office that we we're trying to convert into multifamily, that would not, <laughs> that would probably not meet our risk tolerance.
2: Got it. Okay. So it's not a heavy conversion. What do you have to do to convert it?
1: Honestly, mostly this is a political process. Zoning? So it, it's not zoning. It's already zoned for the use. It's changing the permitted use and coming up to code on certain items and making sure that the city is on board with the project. So it's mostly political and kind of permitting and planning. The actual construction and the conversion is going to be, I think, pretty straightforward.
2: Okay. And have you already purchased the project? Yes. And how much equity did you raise for that deal?
1: I don't have it in front of me, but on the order of million and a half dollars, somewhere around there.
2: And approximately how many people did it come from?
1: Well, our average investment over the course of all of our deals has been somewhere close to $75,000 per passive investor, probably a little less than that. Mm-hmm. So if I had to guess, this is probably close to 20 passive investors that put money into this deal. Might've been a little bit more. Some of our deals we allow investors to come in. Typically we have a $50,000 minimum. Sometimes we allow investors to come in at less than 50,000. And I think we had a few of those on this deal. So I, I would say maybe 20, 25 people potentially.
2: And I imagine there were a lot of questions about, have you done this before? You're trying to change permitting use. It's California. It sounds like a really uphill, tough sledding. How did you give the 20 or so investors the comfort level that, hey, we got this and we're going to mitigate risk and it's a conservative investment?
1: Well, first of all, we made sure that in any deal that we offer our investors, we want to be really clear about what we consider the risks to be. So we're not ever going to sugarcoat and say, that there aren't risks. There always are in any deal. And in this particular deal, from our research and discussing it with the city and with our planning consultants and other developers that have done similar projects, the risk seemed to be in the permitting process and the amount of time that it would take to get the permitting from the city. So all of the signs pointed to, it's a matter of when this is approved. It's not a matter of if. The city needs more housing. This was originally built as multifamily. This is really just changing the use back to its original use. We don't know all of the little details that the city is going to ask us for. So there is risk in terms of, did you budget enough? So what we tried to do to mitigate risk is we tried to pad our budget very significantly. We raised more money than we needed to. We're working with a lender who understands the project and is flexible in terms of LTV and it's flexible in terms of what we get back from the city can dictate how we go about the actual renovation. So we really just try to be honest and upfront and no, this is the first project that we've done in this city. This is the first project that we've done of this capacity, but we're dedicated. We're uh, semi-intelligent and we're going to do the best that we can. And our own money is in this deal. So we think we have a very good opportunity here. Santa Barbara multifamily trades at four, four and a half cap. So there's a big, big value add opportunity here if we can get it right. And we felt like we understood the risks and downsides and we presented them to our investors and they understood what they were as well.
2: So every now and then I ask the best ever listeners, hey, what additional questions aren't I asking that I should be asking? And a lot of them are like, well, ask investors, how much money are they actually making or could they make? So here's the question. How much money does the general partnership projected to make approximately on a deal like this should it come to fruition like you envision?
1: The general partnership. Well, I don't have the deal in front of me to know exactly. But first of all, we put our own money into every deal. I think we probably put close to 10% of the total equity that we raised was from principals. So we're making money alongside the investors in the same way that they are. In this particular deal, we have 70 30 profit shares. Anything above an eight pref, and then profit at the sale will go 70% to the investor and 30% to the general partner. On this particular deal, we're gonna be all in for call it around a little over five million. Let's just say it's five point five million, and let's say we can sell it for seven point five million. So we have a two million dollar potential profit in this deal, seventy percent of which is going to go to our investors and thirty percent of which which would be six hundred thousand could potentially go to the general partnership. These are really round ballpark numbers, but that at least gives you kind of a feel for what you could expect
2: that's actually more valuable than answering just with a number because you went through the thought process and how it's structured and thank you for that. I appreciate it and so do they. what is the best real estate investing advice ever?
1: Mm, make your money on the buy and look for ways to add value before you close a deal.
2: Going back to what I said we would go back to, the mitigating risk when you're investing in multiple asset classes in multiple markets, I get you really hung your hat on having a strong team that has a track record and expertise whenever you're investing in those deals as an LP and then you're bringing your investors as well. My challenge, I'll just speak plainly with my challenge. My challenge is if I'm presenting an industrial deal, a self-storage deal, a mobile home park, a retail deal, an office deal, I don't have an expertise in that. So I don't really know without having a team of advisors who I certainly could reach out to some people who are experts in those areas who I'm friends with. But I personally don't have an expertise in that area. So how do you determine the validity of, of the projections that the the general partnership has if you're not focused on one particular asset class? Yeah,
1: this is the crux of it, right? So one thing we decided early on is we wanted to be knowledgeable enough across asset classes that we could at least be asking the right questions and understand when we get an answer, whether we believe it or trust it or not. I think though, Joe, a lot of this honestly like in any other partnership, comes down to some level of trust. That has to be there first. And I actually think that your choice of partner is actually more important than the market or the asset itself. I think that's something that at least that we believe and a track that we follow. So we ask a lot of questions. We try and vet answers independently. We try and do as much research as we can on our own. And we try and get corroboration from other people in the market that are third parties that don't have any horse in the race. And that's really what we try to do.
2: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way, and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Guarino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit RALacademy.com to learn more. Best ever book you've recently read.
1: Principles by Ray Dalio.
2: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
1: It all comes back to not understanding exactly what you're buying, not checking off all the boxes, or not realizing that you missed this in the budget, or not realizing that something was going to take two months longer than you expected. So I think it's really just not doing the full, complete level of due diligence that you should have before you purchase.
2: Any one of those things in particular that you can share with the listeners that, hey, it tripped you up one time and then it's something that might trip up others and you just want to mention?
1: Yeah, I'll go back to my single family and kind of duplex, triplex investing days. One of my first projects, I bought a really nice little house and it was built in the 60s and in California in the 60s, they were putting down cast iron pipes. So going through my first few transactions, I didn't fully appreciate the need or the benefit to really digging into all of the critical components of the foundation and the infrastructure, including the plumbing. And this particular project, literally, like two weeks after we bought the house, I was in Mexico on vacation getting a phone call from the tenant saying that the toilet was backed up, the tub was backed up and the house was in danger of starting to flood. And I just kind of thought, man, what have I gotten myself into here? It was a simple fix. All these problems can be fixed with a check. But if you don't have that check budgeted, then it's painful. So I think from some of these painful mistakes you learn, and I haven't made that mistake since, and I I don't intend to make it again.
2: Best ever deal you've done?
1: I'm really excited about an Opportunity Zone development deal that we're working on. Just because we found a great property that was fundamentally undervalued and we got it at a really good price. We're close to determining what is actually going to be built there. And I just see tremendous value long term in it.
2: Best ever way you like to give back?
1: Right now, it's really about educating people about investing in real estate, about the benefits. And over time, I hope for that answer to be able to change. But right now, I think it's really about that.
2: How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and connect with you?
1: Well, our website is drivencap.com, C-A-P short for capital, Driven Capital Partners. You can email me, matt, M-A-T-T at drivencap.com. Those are probably the two best ways to reach out.
2: Matt, really enjoyed our conversation. You got into the specifics of the $4 million project in Santa Barbara, how you structured it, the potential earnings on the project for general partners, as well as limited partners, talking about why you got into the commercial space, and then how you look to mitigate risk since you are focused on diversified portfolio across markets and asset classes, Theoretically, that's great, but then how do you bring that to life while doing it in a conservative way when you're investing? And you talked about that. So, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me, Joe.
2: What if you could earn ten thousand per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.